let's look at Pastor Paul here. All right, kids, you are going to help me, and the whole congregation, this is for everybody, but this is going to make a whole lot more sense. You guys are going to show me how something has changed, and you are going to use your body. It's not nearly as cool as the man is going to have you do with your body, but I'm going to have you do something, okay? And every, if you're watching online, I want you to do this too. Uh, you can put an emoji in the comments. What I want you to do uh, is I want you to, don't do anything yet. I'll tell you when. I want you to pretend like you're answering the phone, okay? And uh, when you answer the phone, I want you to show me what would you do with your hand, okay? No help. No help, parents. Leslie. <clears throat> I want you just to show me what would you do with your hands if you were going to answer the phone. If you're pretending to answer the phone, show me what you do with your hand, okay? Now, congregation, I want you all to do this, right? Everybody's going to do this, okay? On the count of three, I want you to do it. And when you do it, just hold it there and kind of look around. This isn't to shame anybody. This is just to prove a point, okay? So uh, on the count of three, what would you do with your hand to answer the phone? You ready? One, and hold it there. One, two, three. Okay, hold on a second. Hold it there. Okay. Good, kind of look around. Okay, now, um, I didn't tell them this, but Bjorn, can I have you stand up for a second? Okay, can you show everybody what you're doing with your hand? Okay. Does everybody see what Bjorn's doing with his hand? Okay. And kind of look around the room. Okay. Beautiful. Now, Kids, you probably have no idea what that's about, and that's good. You shouldn't. Uh, I'm going to talk about how that has to do with the Holy Spirit. I know. It's going to take some work to get there. So uh, we're going to do that with your, with your families, with your loved ones. Uh, and so ask your loved ones after the service, what on earth does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Because uh, they're going to tell you. Amanda, take it away. Since we are talking about movement today and praising God with movement, can you help me? Can you stand up? We're doing a lot of it. movement this morning. And just like the man who is healed, can you jump and skip out of the service as you continue your worship into Sunday school? If you want to. Ready? Go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for embodying your faith, kids. <laughs> uh, okay, now, unfortunately, it didn't go quite as well as I was hoping. Uh, but... I saw this video uh, that talks about these generational differences. And in particular, I probably kind of gave it away. Uh, when you ask someone to show with their hand how they would answer the phone, uh, this dad did this with his family. He asks his wife, and she goes like this, right? Now, my son, and uh, of a certain age, kind of if you're born after the year 2000, they either answer the phone like this or like this, right? So he asks his kids. I know. See, that's the thing. It didn't go as perfectly as I thought. But. You did change. Now, Linda, why did you change? Why did you answer the phone like this? And, and what do you do? What is this? There we go, right? So this perfectly illustrates the difference of when something is introduced, how dramatically different our world changes, right? So think about this. Like before we had landlines, right? That's why you had this. When you tell people to hang up the phone, they don't even know what you're talking about, right? If you're under a generation, you hang up. This, it's in my pocket. Right? Hang up doesn't make any sense. And so you're answering the phone like this. And this perfectly illustrates this difference from analog, a landline, to going digital. Right? This absolutely changes. And so with the introduction of the cell phone, and in particular the smartphone, everything about how we interacted with the world has changed. Right? Think about that. When I was, uh, could anybody remember when they got their first cell phone? Yeah? I was probably younger than some of you when you got your first cell phone. Uh, but my first cell phone was like itty bitty, right? Like the would have been like this was like how I used a cell phone, right? It was so tiny. And, you know, the Nokia brick, right? The really thick 
playing snake, T9 word to text, right? So you remember these first cell phones. Before when I was a kid, we didn't have cell phones, right? We didn't have smartphones. And so you would make an appointment, like appointment. I didn't make an appointment as a kid. But when I was a kid, like I'd want to hang out with somebody, I'd call them on a landline and set a time to meet somewhere, like at a park, and then we'd just show up. What? Like how, I don't even remember how that works anymore, right? Like you had to set times, you had to set places. Now I'm following my wife on her drive home, and I know when she's like 300 feet away, and I'm texting, why are you over here? Right? Like, it has dramatically changed how we interact with the world. The introduction of smartphones has dramatically changed, and it touches so much of our life. Right? Like, I don't even sit, and I'm not bored anymore. Right? I don't just, whenever I'm sitting there waiting for something, what do I do? Pull out my phone. Right? Now, I'm not saying uh, that phones are like the best thing in the world, that, that smartphones don't need to have limits or boundaries. We could preach an entire series on the, the need for theology of technology and how to set limits and all those kinds of things. But I think what this does highlight is how the introduction of something radically changes how we interact with the world, right? We, when the introduction of a cell phone has changed how we do everything, it has touched everything in our life. It was one way before, and now it's a completely other way. So how does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. Uh, <clears throat> This highlights uh, how the the cell phone, how a smartphone completely changed, right? We went from this to this or this. We went from this to this. It highlights how the Holy Spirit has changed everything. Things were one way, and now things are a completely other way. I am not saying that the Holy Spirit is the iPhone of the Trinity, right? That's That's not what we're talking about. But I think what it correlates to is the dramatic change. Right? With the introduction of something, it has dramatically changed how, we, how everything works, how we interact with everything. We are no longer stuck to a single location and we have to set things up in advance. We have access all the time. And this is what happens with the Holy Spirit. Things were one way and now things are an entirely different way. And so our story this morning, I think, highlights uh, the dramatic difference of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and how things were one way and now everything is another way. Everything in our world has changed with the coming, the introduction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Now, we're in a a series on Acts, the book of Acts, talking about that early church and in particular uh, about how the Holy Spirit has radically reoriented how we engage with all of life. And last week, Pastor Britta beautifully preached on Pentecost, which is the day in which we remember that the Holy Spirit was given to the church, to the early followers of Jesus, and how that dramatically impacted everything that they did. And she talked about how, kind of birthed out of this chaos, that God did things well beyond our control, right? That there's this chaoticness to it because we can't control it. It's not within our plan, but rather that as the Holy Spirit gets to work and we come alongside what the Holy Spirit is doing, everything has changed. And so our story this morning is the first uh, story that comes after the Holy Spirit has been given to the people. And so it kind of serves as a uh, representative story. It highlights something significant about how things were one way before the Holy Spirit came and now how everything is different now that the Holy Spirit has come. And the the differences here are both kind of, I won't won't say service level, but you can really understand them, right? They're like right there in front of you. But these physical ideas, these, uh, this story this morning has a lot of different physical elements to it. But these physical elements point to kind of a deeper reality that I want to unpack for us this morning. 
So uh, if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn to Acts. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the Bible, and then Acts. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the um, chair or pew in front of you. Uh, the words will also be on the screen, so if you don't have one, no problem. But if you have one, I think it's helpful just to kind of see. We'll talk about a few other verses that we're not going to read, so it's helpful to have it open before you. But Acts chapter 3, this continues the story of what Pastor Britta preached last week of after Pentecost, and we're going to be Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, uh, this is kind of just the beginning of the story. Uh, The rest of what happens in Acts 3 is really significant. And we're just going to do the briefest of highlights on that. Uh, But one of the reasons we we, uh, have done this, we this summer are doing something called an Acts reading plan. And the reason that we're doing this is because we don't have, a, it's not possible for us to cover every single part of Acts on Sundays. Like the last sermon, I think, in the series covers like seven chapters. Uh, so we can't, you know, cover, we can't read that all together. So we've been doing this plan just to kind of fill in all the details, but also as we're kind of all in different places throughout the summer, it's a way for us to stay connected as a community, right? As we're still reading this together, we're sharing this story together. So if you haven't done this, we're only a few chapters in. I encourage you, there's uh, physical cards right out in the... Uh, comments as you leave and then the narthex and you can also find it online on our instagram so i just encourage you if you haven't done that because there's a lot that's happening in this chapter and even a lot that's happening in these first 10 verses that we don't have a time to cover everything so i just encourage you to to think about how to read that but the beginning of this chapter acts chapter 3 1 to 10 uh, sets up this significant story and it shows how everything was one way And now that the Holy Spirit has come, everything has changed, right? It's moving from a landline to mobile, right? Things have changed. This illustrates perfectly. It's gone from one way of of thinking to an entirely different way of engaging with the world. Now, it's helpful to have an understanding of the kind of the setting of what's happening because it really speaks to this idea of these things that are happening physically in the story that speak to something else deeper, a deeper reality that's happening here in this story. So it says that, Peter and John were going to the temple uh, to worship at at 3 in the afternoon, which is uh, the the early followers of Jesus. So Peter and John are two disciples of Jesus. And these early followers of Jesus, they were Jewish in culture and in in religious practice. So their practice was three times a day they would go to the temple to pray. So this was a normal part of their rhythm to go to this temple. And it says that as they're going there, they come to this man outside the beautiful gate. Now, we've talked about the temple before, but the temple set up in Jerusalem is kind of uh, sectioned off into a number of different locations. 
So at the very center, there's this holy of holies where they believed like the presence of God itself was kind of manifest. That's where God resided. And only a very, 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 very small select few were ever allowed in the holy of holies. And then outside of that, there was another group for like the men who were allowed and then the women were allowed. And then there was like another gate that was for the Gentiles, people who were non-Jewish. So there were numbers of ways in which the, the access to worship was limited, right? And so this gate called Beautiful was more than likely at the very most outer part before going into kind of the main temple courts. And it was called Beautiful because it was more beautiful than all the other gates. And so it was this more than likely this really big, bigger than all of them, like super, super, super tall. And it was beautifully ornate. All the different gates had kind of silver and gold to kind of talk about uh, how profoundly they felt God was experienced in this place. But this gate in particular was magnificent, right? It was breathtaking. And so it was trying to represent that as you go through these gates, you're just kind of blown back in awe by what you're entering into. And so it says that these two men are going uh, to worship in their daily rhythm uh, to the temple, and they're allowed probably further in. And the big gate, this beautiful gate outside, they see this crippled man sitting outside. Now, more than likely, this uh, gate is this entrance into the more temple courts, because we hear that he says they go into the temple courts, but also because there'd be more traffic, right? There'd be more people walking back and forth. And so this man would have more opportunity to ask people for help. Uh, the other reason he's probably outside this gate is, is what Amanda so beautifully talked about already. Because he was crippled, he wasn't allowed in. You see, there was a, an old way of thinking, a pattern that was set, that said that your suffering was a result of your sin. So there must have been something that this man had done wrong for him not to be allowed to come in to the temple courts. Talk about a poignant setting, right? The, the grandeur of the religious institution and all of this gold and silver and this massive temple court that kept people out. And this crippled man who is in deep need sitting outside. What a poignant image. What a poignant setting for this to take place. The wealth and wanting on significant display for the people. And so it says that this man is outside and he's begging. Now, the word that's used there for begging is this word, and it's in a, uh, the kind of tense that it's in, uh, means that this is something he has done over and over and over and over and over and over again. So it's not just like he's just, he happens to be there this day, but the way they talk about begging says that this is a well-worn path of supplication. This is all this man has ever known. This is all this man has ever been allowed to do. He's never been allowed to go into the temple, and because his feet don't work, because his legs don't work, he can't get any other work. So the only thing that he can do, the only thing he knows, the only thing that he's allowed to do is sit outside the temple gate asking and begging for someone to give him something. One way of how life was defined. The magnitude of these gates and the, the begging man who's only known this way of life. This is the only way he's ever been allowed to interact in the world. And so uh, from this place, from this poignant setting, we have a number of these kind of physical characteristics of this story that point to this kind of deeper metaphorical reality, right? These physical characteristics themselves are significant, but they point to something even deeper that's going on underneath the surface. 
And so the first kind of set of physical characteristics to think about is what it says that the, the disciples do, that Peter and John. It says that this man calls out as he has again and again and again and again, begging for them to give him something. And what does it say Peter and John do? They see this man, right? They, they see this man. And what it says, then Peter says, is he says, look at us. And then when he says, look at us, it says the man gives them his full attention, right? So there's this interaction that's happening here that's this really physical thing, but it's speaking to a deeper level of what's actually happening here. It's not just that they notice this man, they actually see this man. The words that are used there to describe all of what's happening is actually that Peter sees this person face to face. So I want you to imagine this for a moment. I want you to imagine this is the giant, beautiful gate, right? This huge, ornate, beautiful gate. And Peter and John, they see this man sitting outside. And when he says, look at us, and, and he gives them his full attention, it's as if Peter is getting down on his knee to look this man face to face. Talk about a posture of what it means to follow Jesus, right? Like, To get low and to see this person face to face is embodying the physical thing of seeing this man, but it means so much more to get down on this man's level, to look him in the eyes, to truly see who this man is and was. Right, And I can imagine that as Peter stoops low to look at this man and to look at this man face to face, to look into his eyes, his body would remember the posture of his Messiah, of his rabbi. Right, as Jesus stooped low to wash the feet of the disciples, Peter now is reflecting his teacher's teachings by getting low and to be close and to look eye to eye to see this man. Do you see how this physical characteristic points to a deeper metaphorical reality? Like this is significant. That the posture is not to lord it over, to not be caught by the grandeur of the religious institution, but to see the people who are in need and who we are called to serve. This is the posture of what it means to follow Jesus. To stoop low and see him face to face. This is significant. Right? This is significant in and of itself because he's noticed, but it's significant because of what it embodies, of the deeper reality it's pointing to. And so then, uh, I kind of got so captured by this idea this week. Uh, there's also a lot of physical characteristics that go into talking about the, the kind of healing that happens for this man. And I'm like, this just blew my mind this week. So the person who wrote the book of Acts is Luke, the Gospel writer Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so Luke and Acts are kind of these two pieces of a bigger book, right? And so Luke wrote this book, and more than likely, scholars believe that Luke was a physician, which means he's well-versed and studied in all kinds of, like, the medicine that they understood at the time, right? So this is kind of, I was like, okay, that's interesting. And in this story in particular, Luke uses a number of medical terms to describe what's happening with the healing of this man. So at the very beginning, uh, now, uh, full disclosure, I am not a physician, Uh, I don't fully understand how things work. I get squeamish giving my own blood. I have passed out on a number of times. Uh, So I'm not an expert in this. I'm just relaying what I've heard, okay? So, and those of you who might be more uh, physicians or in the medical field, please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, But here's kind of what I've understood of this story. So at the very beginning, it says that uh, Peter, excuse me, that this man was lame from birth, 
And the word that Luke uses there to talk about him being lame from birth is this idea that he, I'm going to set this down because I'm going to drop it. Uh, this idea that his ankle and his heel, it means paralysis in the ankle and the heel. At the base of the heel is paralysis. So more than likely what it's talking about is his ankle and his uh, heel have never fused together. I think that's called a club foot. I think that's correct. Again, not a position. Uh, so his, this is never formed. When he's saying he was lame from birth, it means that both of his ankles have never formed. And then Luke goes on to say uh, that his, uh, as he takes him up by the right hand, he helps him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. I was like, why is it talking about his feet and his ankles? This is another medical term that means that literally this thing that was unformed that had never fused, instantaneously fused together. What? Are you kidding me? Like, this is crazy. This is, this is something that takes restorative surgery, right? This is something that doesn't happen like, oh, hey, here you go, right? Like, hey, these things were not formed, and now all of a sudden, they formed in an instant at the power of the mention of Jesus' name. Whoa, right? Like, this is incredible. Then what it says, I'm telling you, this just got me so excited. I was like, this is crazy. So then what it says is after he's been healed, like his foot and his ankle have fused together, it says that he leaps up. Right? He le this isn't the kind of thing you do if you have never had walked before. Right? He leaps up. And the term that's used for leap up is another medical term that means that literally his ankle and his heel socket together. What? Are you kidding me? Like, this is, this, here's the thing about this, right? I don't know if it's because we're so far removed from this story or perhaps if you're in the church and you've heard this a number of times, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, like he healed the guy. Like, that's pretty great. Like, this is mind-boggling what happens here, right? It's not like this is just like, oh, like his foot hurt and it made it feel better with a bandage. Like, he literally refused something that had never been fused before. They come together. He is invited to stand up, and immediately he stands up and is, he's healed. He can walk. Does it say he walks? No, he jumps and he leaps. This is a man who's never walked before. Can you imagine the atrophy in his legs? He's never used those muscles, ever. And he's jumping and leaping? What? My, uh, my mom and my mother-in-law both had knee surgery in this last year. Uh, my mom had two partial knee replacements, and my mother-in-law had a full knee replacement. And my, my mom and mother-in-law, these are strong women. These are incredibly resilient people. And they put their heart and soul into rehabilitation. Right? They, they worked very hard, and they're strong anyway, so they were way above... Like, they healed really, really, really quickly from this restorative surgery, right? It still took them weeks and weeks and months of months of rehabilitation to be able to walk again. Weeks and weeks and weeks. In an instant. I know I said I'm not medically inclined. I know that your knees are not your ankles, right? Like, those are two different things. I understand. But... The point holds that when something has not been working and it has been restored, it takes time to rehabilitate those things. And in this instance, it's immediate. Everything has been made whole. Complete restoration has taken place. And so I got to thinking, why on earth? I just Only God could do this, right? God could take this person who's a physician by practice to write this particular story to show you there can be no doubt of the totality of healing that is happening here. 
This is from a doctor's perspective, showing you things were like this, they were unformed, they formed together, pop into socket, he's good. This is incredible. This is miraculous. And it points to the ways in which when God gets to work and when the Holy Spirit moves, everything changes. Everything is different. Things were one way, everything is a different way. This is remarkable. And what's so cool about this is Luke tells us the same thing using medical terms. Now, there's like 600 sermons I could preach on this. I'm not going to go too long, hopefully. Uh, What happens after this, by the way, is uh, the people, the Jewish people who are around there see this man and they all come running. Everybody. It doesn't say just a few. Every single person comes running to see what has happened. And it says when they come running to see what has happened, Peter gets a little salty. And he says, you all brought Jesus over to be crucified. But turn, physical, right? Physically come back, return to God. And you know what it says that happens? They do, right? Things were one way, everything is another way. So that's, again, it's, it's like, man, there's so much to unpack there. But just know there's a whole lot that's happening here. This healing brings all of these people who were just crucifying Jesus to follow Jesus instantly. What? This is incredible. So Luke says in chapter uh, 3, verse 16, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. That's a whole thing in itself. Here's what he says. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. That is what changes everything. Faith in the name of Jesus that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see. Another physical reality that's pointing to a deeper metaphorical reality. The word that's used there for completely healed means totality, absolute wholeness. I'm going to read this because it's important and I don't remember it perfectly. So this is what this word actually means. The layman who is completely healed is a word, and this is the other thing that's interesting about this. This is the only time in all of scripture this word is used. When that happens, that should kind of be like a little bell going off in our head. Hmm, I wonder why this word in this particular place is only ever used at this time. So this is significant. There's something significant about this. And what it says is that this word means there is an unimpaired condition of body in which all its members are healthy and fit for use. Complete wholeness. There can be no question. Everything has changed. Things were one way and now everything is another way. And did you catch that? An unimpaired condition of body. Everything was one way, and now everything else is another way. And this idea of unimpaired is certainly dealing with the physical nature of this healing for this man, which is significant. And we rejoice and we celebrate when people are healed. And we testify to those things. That's important. That's why this story is in here. We testify to those things. But there's also a deeper reality to be named about this unimpaired state. Right? Because what happens to this man after the healing? Right? It says he jumps up, he leaps up, and where does he go? Where does he go? Into the temple. Was this man ever allowed into the temple before? He has been completely rehabilitated. Physically, his body has done this incredible thing. 
His foot and his ankle have healed and the muscles have not atrophied and somehow he's jumping up and down. But where does he go? He goes in to the temple, the place he was told he was not allowed to go. He is no longer impaired from access to God. Do you see how significant this is? This healing itself is total, right? It's absolute. There is an unimpaired condition of the body. And at the same time, there is an unimpaired condition for this man to enter into the presence of God. Talk about a metaphor. Everything was one way and now everything is another way. Right, This man who was observed but just not really noticed, who was lame from birth, was begging outside the temple courts, this massively beautiful representation of the religious institution. And now, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, everything has changed. This man's physical body is healed. He is seen physically and known by these two disciples. And he is now in the temple praising God. He's invited all the way in. He's, this, is, this is dramatic, right? And the setting is intentional. Think about what happened at the beginning. The two disciples are going to set times of prayer in a set place, in a set specific way in which they've been told they have access to. Right? This is landline thinking. I'll meet you there at 10. Right? And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, everything has changed. This is gone, God gone mobile, right? This is God blowing outside the room of the temple. Not that the temple doesn't matter, but the temple is no longer a gate to limit people's access, but rather a door to send people out into mission. Look at that. Like this is a dramatic change. Uh, things were one way. Everything was this way for this man, and now everything is different. This is God on the move. This is God everywhere, always, for all people. This is what's happening here. This is God on the move. This man's restoration is significant and we attest to it. We testify. We bear witness to this man's healing, but we also bear witness to what it represents. That once the Holy Spirit has come, everything has changed. And so this is the main thing I want us to sit with. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, we receive an invitation to unimpaired access to Jesus. Let me extend that again. With the coming of the Holy Spirit that we just celebrated last week on Pentecost, that the Spirit of God has fallen on the people, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we receive an invitation to unimpaired access to Jesus. Everything has changed. We have an ability to talk to God. God is at work and on the move. God is at work healing things. Not always, however frustrating that may be. Right? But this describes something. It doesn't tell us how it always is going to go. But what this describes at a deeper level is that everything that has impaired us from coming to God has been reconnected and reformed. And it's instantaneous. And we can jump and praise God and are invited all the way in. This is the significance of of Pentecost. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It radically changes how we interact with everything. We've gone from this to this. We've gone from being landlocked, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's what it does. It propels us to be on the move. This is God on the move. 
The Spirit of God inviting us to an unimpaired access to Jesus, to bring everything of who we are to Jesus. And so my question for you this morning is, where do you need healing? Certainly, we bring our requests for physical healing and we pray for those adamantly and we walk alongside you with those. And when it does happen, we bear witness and we testify. But also, is there something else impairing you from your access to Jesus? Is there something else that feels like it's getting in the way? What do you need to be made well from? What do you need to bring to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit? And that's why we come to this table. Why we come and have communion, and we've now started this every week. To be reminded that Jesus invites us to come all the way in. That we have unimpaired access to the Holy Spirit. Everyone is welcome at this table as we proclaim that Jesus calls us to come and trust him. And we seek, even if it seems incomplete, to trust in Jesus. This is why we come. Each week we also are going to have prayer partners who will be over here in these uh, four chairs next to the booth. And if you are in need of prayer, if something is stirring in you, if the Holy Spirit is saying, I need you to come, come, we want to invite you to receive prayer. To have this unimpaired access to Jesus. Like I think sometimes the same way with this story, right? That we hear it so many times or so far removed that we can forget that this itself is a earth-shattering miracle. Everything was one way, and now everything is another way through the power of the Holy Spirit. So would you come? Come to the table to receive the body and the bread, the juice and the blood, to receive of who Jesus is who calls you to be unimpaired in your relationship with him. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we cannot fathom that you have called us to wholeness in you. That you have promised us that we have unimpaired access to who you are, to bring our pain and our grief and our suffering, to ask for what we need. And God, things don't always go the way that we think they should or the way that we would hope. And in those moments, we thank you that you have invited us to bring that to you. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have called us to come. And so we come. We come responding to you. That you would provide complete wholeness, not in the way that we can define, but in the way that is a restored and reconciled relationship with you. May we come. May we hear you. May you heal us in whatever way it is that we need. Thank you for this gift.